are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, October the 11th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And as is our custom, we'd like to take a look at readings for the following Sunday, which is the 21st Sunday after Pentecost. But we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to actually take a reading from the previous Sunday, from Mark chapter 10. Now, I'm not sure why they did this, but they divided Mark 10 from last week and then to this week. In other words, I consider it to be a joint passage that should be well said on the same day. And I'll tell you why this is so important to me. How many times have you wanted to tell someone the essence of the Bible, the true message of the Bible, the true mission of the church? And we've said a lot about how you need to distinguish between the law, which makes demands on us, and the gospel, which has no demands at all, but is salvation, free, by grace, through faith. So there's a couple of passages that I like to begin adult instruction with. And Mark 10, beginning with verse 17, is one of them. So I'm going to repeat a little bit about what I said last week about Mark 10 but then continue with verses 23, which is the reading for this Sunday. Mark 10, verse 17, a man runs up to Jesus and asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the rich man says, well, I've kept all these things from my youth. We make a distinction between biblical theology and everyday theology. Everyday theology is the theology that most people have on their minds and they don't really understand the scriptures properly. And this is a perfect example of the rich man coming to Jesus. Now, how can you tell if someone has everyday theology? I, I really believe it is important that the pastor of a congregation really gets to know his people. And that means he's talking to them maybe when they have a dinner at the church or when he gets a chance to visit with them or when someone is sick, he's in the hospital with them or a close friend of them of theirs dies. And he learns a lot about their everyday theology. Now, one of the ways to understand everyday theology is by the question that they might ask. And listen to this question, and I'm going to 
emphasize the part that Jesus heard. Good teacher, what must I do to enter, to inherit eternal life? Now, did you hear the emphasis? What must I do? He gets that from Judaism that teaches the commandments of God are necessary to be obeyed in order that one is saved. Remember that Pharisee who thanks God he's not like the tax collector because I fast, I give a tithe. Now now notice the commandments that he is talking about. They're the ceremonial law. They're not even the moral law. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount shows that we all disobey the commandments because disobedience does not just occur when you do something wrong, but also when on the basis of the commandment you think or say something wrong. Thou shalt not kill, I tell you, he says, that anyone who speaks an ill word against someone is breaking the fifth commandment because you're hurting and harming your neighbor. And even a thought deserves eternal damnation. So he knows, as does every other religion in the world, teaches that to do is what saves. But then he says, what must I do to inherit? Now that word inherit normally refers to a gift that you receive after someone dies. They leave their last will and testimony and you may inherit possessions, money, etc. It's not on the basis of your deeds, but a lot of times on the basis of what relationship you had with this person. Son, daughter, wife, cousin, etc. So when he asks what he has to do, what does the law say? You got to obey the commandments. See, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, they never would have needed a savior. But at the time that they sinned, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was an act of unbelief. Every sin is always an act of unbelief. We do not believe the promise of God. And so we sin in this way. And therefore, Jesus says to the man who thinks he's kept all these from his youth, well, you lack one thing. And what Jesus is saying is kind of, well, here's one thing you lack of about a thousand others. And he says, all that you have go, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, the man really loved his possessions. In fact, verse 22 ended last week's lesson. Disheartened by the saying, 
he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, this week's lesson for the 21st Sunday after Pentecost has an Old Testament reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. And a lot of times, the Old Testament reading is paired with the gospel reading. The gospel reading from Mark 10 continues with Jesus talking about this rich man when his disciples question him. But listen to Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? And Ecclesiastes goes on. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And it's very clear that when a person dies, guess what? He doesn't take any of his riches with him. All his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. So Ecclesiastes is really talking about this rich man who so loves his money that that's what he thinks his life is about. So getting back to Mark chapter 10, after the rich man leaves him, Jesus says to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus talks about how difficult it is, the original language even gives the impression that he is saying how impossible it is. And this, of course, really disturbs the disciples because in Judaism, if you were rich, you were really considered blessed by God. And he was blessing you because you were so close to him. And so therefore, those who were poor, those who were sick with various illnesses, or who were lame, blind, and so forth, they were not considered by the leaders of Judaism 
to be blessed by God. In fact, they were not allowed into the temple proper. And they had a section where they could worship God with the women, the children, and the Gentiles. Now, that is quite contrary to the New Testament belief that all can worship God, even in the Holy of Holies, because that's why we go to the Lord's Supper. So the disciples, hearing Jesus say, it's really almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God it's almost like trying to get a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, this is interesting how some scholars interpreted that sentence of Jesus. Some many years after Jesus rose from the dead, supposedly there was a gate to Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. And a small camel could go through it. And so these scholars believe a rich man can still go to heaven. It's just really difficult. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that a person who is exceedingly rich, guess what? It is impossible for him to do anything to enter the kingdom of God. See, this is where law and gospel comes in. If you think you get into heaven by what you do, guess what? There's no way. We get into heaven not by what we do. We get into heaven by what Jesus has done for us. So the disciples who are astonished at what Jesus says, ask him this question. Then who can be saved? See, they've known a lot of rich people because the Pharisees were considered rich. They had flocks of sheep. They had beautiful clothing. And they were the leaders of Judaism, many of them. So... If they couldn't be saved, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them, and here's what he said. Verse 27 of Mark 10. This is one of the most important verses to keep in mind when you're talking to someone who is not a Christian, who thinks we believe that we're saved by our works. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now, I made the point a number of times that every passage of doctrine in the Bible can be understood in one of two ways. You can either understand it in the wrong way or you can understand it in the right way. What is the wrong way? 
the the wrong way in this case would be as follows with man it is impossible so that man all by himself cannot do anything to get into the kingdom of heaven but not with god here's how these people interpret that with man by himself there's nothing he can do to get into the kingdom of heaven. But with the help of God, he began, can begin to do good works and merit his way into heaven. Now, that's how to misunderstand this verse. Jesus is not saying that you can't get into heaven on your own but with the help of God, you can do things to merit your way into heaven. I keep bringing up the parable of the sheep and the goats. And remember, the sheep are complimented for their good works, but their good works are not what gets them into heaven. The good works are results of their already going to heaven. Just like when you have a baby and the baby grows up in your household, the baby does not become your child by the works he does, like, well, doing the dishes, cleaning his room, cutting the lawn, and so forth. He already is your child because he was begotten or adopted. So also with the good works of a Christian. The Christian good works are not the reason that someone gets into heaven by meriting their way, by earning their way. The text is pretty clear. Jesus says to the sheep, inherit the kingdom of God. That word inherit means that they get adopted by God and then the good works are the evidence that they are truly believers. And faith and faith alone is what saves them, not their good works. So when Jesus says, with man it is impossible, that there's nothing that a man can do, even with the help of God, to get into heaven but not with God. Notice, for all things are possible with God. Jesus does not say, well, all things are possible for man with God. No. So what are we saying here? God does for you what is impossible for you to do, even with his help. You see, God is not considered, as in other religions, a helper to get you to heaven. He is considered instead one who gets you to heaven by grace because of his mercy. Now, every other religion believes that God is just. In other words, you get what you deserve. 
So the more good works you do, like Judaism taught, the more better is your chance of meriting heaven. But the Bible teaches that there is nothing you can do to merit heaven. It is a gift from God who in, for example, the waters of baptism adopts you into his family. He does all the work. But it was clear from the beginning that God said that he who sins, death is the result. And that death would have been eternal damnation, separation from God. But what we find is God becoming a human being in order that he might be by himself the one who suffers for our sins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When that is mentioned in the Bible, Jesus on the cross, it's in the Aramaic. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. In other words, Jesus in the Aramaic is really asking, my God, my God, why am I suffering alone? Because there is no help for Jesus on the cross. An angel was sent to help Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But when it comes to the cross, he is all by himself. He has become sin in God's view for every human being. And therefore, the sufferings of the cross, including the Father no longer with him, is the sufferings that get you saved. Because in that suffering, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Notice that forgiveness is a gift from God. And what is forgiveness? I read a lot of articles about forgiveness, but they never seem to really say what forgiveness is. How do you define it? I believe that forgiveness is that you are no longer held accountable for your sin. And if you are no longer held accountable for your sin, there are two conclusions. Number one, there is no need for you to pay for that for which you are not held accountable. And that's what heaven is all about. And the second conclusion is if you are not held accountable, then who is? And it is Jesus on the cross who is held accountable for your sins. And when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is not a cry of despair. It is really a shout of victory. Because if you go to Psalm 22, you will find that the Psalm teaches and reveals 
that all who call upon the Father are heard by him, and he answers. This is why Jesus is comforted by the words of Psalm 22. Take the opportunity to read it today, and you will see the comfort that comes from a psalm that begins with, My God, my God, in the Aramaic, why am I alone? Because Jesus, all by himself, is the person who is to die for the sins of the world. So I believe that Mark 10 is a great passage to show the distinction between law and gospel. A man who thinks he can merit salvation and Jesus who clearly teaches that we inherit salvation. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll take a look at the hymn, Hope of the World, Thou Christ of Great Compassion. And you'll see that it is in agreement with the text. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.